Thanks for coming to this edition of the Refurb and Retrofit podcast. Reducing our carbon footprint is a massive challenge, one that involves us all. It's something we can all work on and it can work. A crucial part of making change happen is very close by. It lies in how we manage and use the buildings we already have. That's both the commercial and residential buildings. It's also about making the most of our existing structures to make a real difference. The whole of the life of a building has an impact from creation, operation to demolition. Now, a report has been published from the London Assembly. It could have a huge impact on local and government policy, but there are some reasons why it might not work at all, which I'll get into. If you live in London, this report will impact your life, and in fact, London often leads national policy, so I'd say it will affect anyone living in the UK if it becomes policy for the government. Industries like construction, demolition and retrofit will all have an interest in this report, and I'll pull apart that in the report and explain why. But first, I'll start with a story. I was lucky enough to have parents who managed to be able to have savings. And when I wanted to start a family, they would lend me the money to get our first house. It was a 1930s terrace, not far from Crystal Palace in London. It's very typical of the time. It had a sort of 70s time capsule feel to it from when the previous owners had started their family and then run out of cash. It had leaky windows, poor insulation and a Potterton gas boiler that broke down a lot. Over four years, I refurbished the house and I made it sort of livable. But if you were trying to retrofit and refurbish that same house in London now, there is so much help. Yet it still is too hard for people to find out information about retrofitting. The not-for-profit, the National Retrofit Hub, identified over 120 resources available for residential owners looking for a retrofit help. They were so concerned that they're trying to coordinate this into a single resource. But retrofit isn't a hot topic right now, which is weird. Residential homes could be made more comfortable at speed for us all. People could be lifted out of fuel poverty and social housing could be made more livable or at least above EPC rating C. In any town or city with unused commercial space, that space could be returned to profitable use earning rates for council coffers. A refurbishment or retrofitted property will be back in service quicker than a rebuild and it will hold in embodied carbon could possibly save local landmarks. So in this report, what does it actually say? There's over 30 pages to go through, but if we pull through the recommendations and work through them, there's six in total. The first one says the government should introduce a mandatory requirement in national policy to undertake whole life carbon assessments for buildings, looking at the policy on minimizing greenhouse gas emissions set out in the London Plan's Sustainable Infrastructure Policy 2 Part F as a potential model, which I'll, I won't go into in detail, but this is an idea that's popular amongst some architects and planners, and it takes a holistic view of a building's carbon impact, making it compulsory to consider the building before construction through operation and to, and to demolition is nothing new, but it just isn't compulsory. And if whole life carbon assessments were mandatory, it would set a uniform standard for assessing carbon emissions 
This means we'd get benchmarking because you could compare different projects and benchmarking drives competition and that means people will get to see each other's performance and that will make them competitive. The second recommendation, I'll quote it for you, is the mayor should publish annual data gathered from whole life carbon assessments to enable the success of the policy to be tracked and to identify improvements needed. The GLA should analyse the data and provide an estimate of the amount of embodied carbon emissions associated with London developments broken down by type. Now, publishing data annually promotes transparency, and this is a great move. This enables us to hold developers to account for their carbon emissions and could drive improvements over time. Data is obviously powerful. It provides a solid database for us to analyse trends, and you can start identifying areas for improvement. And then you start making informed decisions, which will further reduce the carbon impact. Also, the idea of publishing annual data will raise public awareness about the importance of reducing embodied carbon, because once a year, everybody's going to ask the question, you know, how well have people been doing? The third recommendation is that the GLA should explore the following measures in the next iteration of the whole life carbon assessments guidance to standardize assumptions and improve the ambition, accuracy and accountability of the assessments submitted by developers. Now, more accuracy in assessments is going to be a no-brainer. We'd get better comparisons, which would help guide better strategies. Um, you can get ambitious benchmarks, which will drive new technology and incentivize industry to lower their carbon emissions in the process. But the words accountability are really important here. If no one is auditing the assessments, then they won't achieve anything. Recommendation four is that the government should assess how to ensure retrofit is more frequently viable, including whether VAT on building refurbishment could be removed or reduced to bring retrofit in line with new buildings, subject to budgetary and other considerations. Now, this is a major lever used by developers to disqualify retrofitting. Simply put, VAT needs to be removed from retrofit to bring it in line with new build projects. Because if retrofit is more viable, more buildings will be retained, reducing demand for new materials, and the whole associated carbon footprint that has will be removed too. If you start making retrofit viable, it will prevent unnecessary demolition. That's it, cut and dry. Recommendation number five is that the government and the mayor should assemble a working group to identify the support that local authorities need in terms of their skills and capacity to promote whole life carbon and circular economy approaches and how this support could be attained. Give local authorities the means to implement participation and you'll empower them. Whole life carbon and circular economy approaches will become the normal way of doing business. And if you can enhance the implementation of a circular economy, this is going to promote the adoption of those sort of principles material reuse, recycling, and all of this will significantly reduce waste and the carbon footprint of the construction sector during builds or retrofits. If various departments are already overworked and we know that planners in lots of authorities are in trouble, then the only way to enhance the capability is to reduce stress on the essential parts of these local authorities. And that's no mean feat in the current climate. It does beg the question, 
is there a better way to integrate the expertise available at local and national level to support authorities? And I'm not sure how we could do that right now. And recommendation six is, as part of a potential review of the London plan, the GLA should conduct a review of the infrastructure, products and services that are needed to support the circular economy in building and construction. As a result of this review, the GLA should set out actions it will take. Now, if you identify and address the gaps in supporting the circular economy, which we need, then you can address them. It will enable us to make a bigger impact for building processes becoming more sustainable. By defining the action you will take, it's going to help create strategic policies and it'll allow us to set goals rather than just making promises, which is what's been happening so far. These recommendations could mark a significant nudge towards influence national policy on retrofitting rather than rebuilding buildings. But intentions are nothing without action. And tradition construction and demolition practices are deeply entrenched in this country. Construction loves incentives. And nothing incentivizes people like money. So if we can make the retrofitting process more attractive, we'll make it too significant to ignore. The thing is, the cost of living crisis means the issue of sustainability is being sidelined. Many people talk the cost of retrofitting. But if we can reframe the discussion about how long-term savings will impact people and then add additional economic relief measures right now, that means people might adopt retrofitting quicker. Now, finally, we do need statutory backing for sustainable building practices like retrofitting and refurbishing properties. And the gap between recommendation and action right now is just too big. Comments from the London report included specific comments about the failure of companies to return their assessments complete. London and soon the country needs robust enforcement mechanisms to pull companies into alignment with the climate goals that we need. The refurb and retrofit will be following closely the impact of this report and what is being done both locally in the capital and nationally to implement the recommendations. But one thing is certain, those companies that build new and those that demolish the unwanted and old will be watching this report with interest too. Refurb and Retrofit is an independent resource with no financial ties to construction companies or government agencies. So if you are looking for independent stories, please follow our podcast for new content every month.